0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald.
2: The first thing you probably need to know about Kansas State's new linebacker coach, Steve Stannard, is he's a Husker. Well, forgive him. He played at Nebraska under Tom Osborne, graduating in the late 80s, briefly joined their coaching staff as a graduate assistant and then plunged headfirst into coaching at the Division III level at Nebraska Wesleyan, eventually becoming the head coach, and he admits he had no idea what he was doing. South Dakota, New Mexico State, Colorado State. He began to climb the ladder of coaching as you have to do. Ohio, Tulane, and then the fateful trip in the 2012 and 13 seasons when he went to North Dakota State, coaching under his former defensive coordinator Craig Bull and meeting Chris Kleiman. He then followed Bull to Wyoming and then in 2017 set off to Syracuse to coach the defensive ends. And now, with the departure of Scotty Hazelton, Kansas State's former linebacker coach and defensive coordinator, he's rejoined Kleiman and company in Manhattan as Kansas State's linebackers coach. Welcome to the PowerCat Sources Podcast, the podcast in which we talk directly to the people we consider our sources. But let me be honest here. Today, when I called Steve Stannard, it was the first time we have spoken. Such as life in the pandemic, he arrived in Manhattan when everything was going on to lockdown. He spent his first three months in town living in a hotel, going to work, and really not doing much of anything other than Zoom calls with his new players and getting ready for a season nobody was sure would actually take place. Well, we are playing football at Kansas State, and in the Big 12, they're three games into their season, and Kansas State is 2-1. and one. Strangely enough, as you know, losing to Arkansas State to open the season before beating Oklahoma and Texas Tech. And Steve Stannard's linebackers have been pretty darn good so far this season. They better be. He has three seniors in his top four players, and the two starters, Eli Sullivan and Justin Hughes, our sixth-year seniors both having an injury season that they got back from the NCAA. You know, you go into these conversations with someone you've never met and you need to find some common ground and you need to find some things to talk about. 30 minutes is a long time to shoot the you-know-what with someone whom you've never met. But that's what we accomplished, as you will hear in this Sources podcast. Steve Standard seems like a pretty darn good fit for this coaching staff, and he's slid right in and hasn't missed a beat. Let's get to my conversation with new Kansas State linebackers coach, Steve Stannard. Welcome to the Sources podcast, Coach, and I wonder what was going through your head when you came to Kansas State, kind of, you know, on a a late notice almost, and you walk into the whole situation, but you find out you have two six-year seniors in your linebacker room, which is just incredibly rare for any football program, but to have two guys like Eli Sullivan and Justin Hughes had to be something that put a smile on your face
3: no doubt i mean it, it's uh it's been an interesting path i remember i was connecting in chicago to come to manhattan and uh hank our uh dfo called and said school's been shut down <laughs> and i'm like well what do yeah what do i do so like, i don't know you can either come or go back home and so i came out here and stayed in the hotel for about three months and we did everything on zoom so it's not been your typical transition but the great thing about it has been Eli and uh, Cody and Justin, and all three of those seniors have been fantastic, and they've had several coaches in their careers, and I have really appreciated uh, the relationship that we've been able to build uh, very quickly.
2: How, how good are they as players? What do they need to work on, I guess?
3: Uh, you know, Justin uh, is very – intelligent as far as his football IQ. He's a smart player and uh, he knows where to put himself in position. You know, uh, he, he knows who he is and he's better when he's, when he does a great job of bending his knees and playing with a sense of urgency, uh, because he has good vision and understands where he's supposed to be. Eli is, uh, very talented, explosive can run and, uh, Eli is continuing to work on his ability to adjust on the fly, you know, week to week when we uh, make some adjustments in, in you know in the game plan. And uh, but between the two of them, they've both played a lot of football, and uh, Eli is a very instinctive football player.
2: And Cody Fletcher has really given you some valuable minutes, hasn't he?
3: Oh uh, yeah, Cody. Cody played really well last week and had a huge pass break up there at the end of the game, uh, which was huge on that uh, last drive that got us off the field. So, yeah, I have no hesitation to put Cody Fletcher on the field, and he's a tremendous special teams player for us.
2: And Daniel greens you're only underclassman. you got three seniors and then him in your main rotation. What does he bring to the field?
3: You know, Deuce is an uh, untapped talent from the standpoint of he is a long and can run he is a young man that uh, wants to learn he's like a sponge he's got a good football mind um, same thing you know with deuce is learning to play the game with knees bent because of his length so that he can get his foot in the ground change direction and get to where he needs to be more efficiently and that's what linebackers all about it's not about necessarily always having the fastest 40. Uh, But it's about getting from point A to point B and back to point A um, without wasting movement, having great feet and great vision.
2: And so much of that just becomes instinctive, and you can only get that through reps, right?
3: No doubt, no doubt. And uh, we've been fortunate. It feels like we practiced a long time before we ever got – felt like we crammed spring ball and fall camp into one one, uh, situation there. Um, and you can never have enough of it. But I think uh, Deuce and all those guys are are continuing to learn and uh, make up for lost time.
2: Do we need to come up with a new nickname for Mr. Green? I mean, this is confusing.
3: (laughs) That's too funny. My son, my my 14-year-old son said that to me uh, uh, yesterday, uh, last night after the game, or the other night after the game. He said, hey, uh is uh deuce upset that he might be losing his name his nickname <laughs> <laughs> like and, like he could be
2: OG deuce the old old guard um, i don't know but uh that that other deuce is pretty darn good i know that
3: no doubt. You know, it's funny. Some of the other coaches starting to call him Daniel more than, than Deuce. <laughs> when I first got here, everything was Deuce, Deuce, Deuce. And I'm like, who's this Deuce guy? And, oh, it's Daniel Green. So, no, nah, he'll always be Deuce to me. Um, and that's all right. As long as they both keep playing well, they both can have the nickname.
2: How rough, weird, challenging was it to show up in a new town move into a hotel for three months. You don't have your players in front of you other than electronically via Zoom Uh, and try to get acclimated and have them get to know them and have them get to know you. It had to be almost impossible.
3: It it was a challenge. And, you know, in seeing their faces on Zoom every day, you felt like, yeah, I kind of know this guy. And then they come walking in and, you know, you see them in person. It's always a different deal and learning everyone's nuances and quirks and getting to know their personalities and body language, and vice versa for them uh it, it's been a challenge, but I tell you the one thing that was the true blessing uh the fact that I'm from you know Lincoln, Nebraska, and my family was only two hours north. Mm. that's the one that kept me sane uh because I was able to go up there and see them, and they were able to come down and see me because I was a long ways away from Syracuse and the rest of my you know my wife and my other kids so um thank goodness I'm from these parts. And I was able to still see some family. But were, it was awesome to get those guys on campus uh, this summer and get to build uh, relationships with them.
2: I really hope that at some point you were able to go home in that window <clears throat> between the Big 12 deciding to play and the Big 10 deciding not to play. And just walk around Lincoln and say, hey, we're going to play football. Because that would have made you really popular around town.
3: Oh yeah, and then, and you know we kind of chuckled seeing the schedule the Big Ten put out for Nebraska. I think I don't know if it was intentional payback. Oh, or, it was or what? But uh, they they gave them a, a not an easy schedule. That's for sure. Just
2: just learn your place, Nebraska. You're the Western new team in this conference. Just sit there and look pretty. That's that's the message I think they get, they were sent. And uh,
3: yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. But it, it's hard. still hard for me to uh, believe that they're not in the Big 12 anymore, even though it's been a long time since they've been in the Big 10. Um, but it just doesn't seem right. To, we're not playing them every
2: year. I know. I know. And it. it uh, I actually feel for their fans because they had all those great road trips that were part of their culture and that all disappeared. And now they're driving north in the winter to go watch college football. And it's that's not easy.
3: Well, there's no better conference than the Big Twelve, so yeah, exactly. We're, we're excited. I'm exactly, excited family. We're all excited to be here.
2: Uh, your your first introduction to Big Twelve football as a member of the staff was going to Oklahoma. Uh, how big of a challenge was that for you to to help your team get uh, regrouped after that lost Arkansas State and go take on what was then the number three team in the
3: country? You know, I was really proud of everyone in this football program from the coach from the head coach to the the all his assistants to the players i mean that that was some soul searching for two weeks and i think everybody really did what we do best and that's when went to work and you know pounded the stone for two weeks to go have the performance that we had at oklahoma was really rewarding because of a lot of time and energy that went into uh, getting our focus where it needed to be to have the two kind of games we've had, you know, the last couple of weeks. And I hadn't been in Oklahoma's Stadium since the 90, early 90s mm-hmm. when, I was, when I was a GA. And so to get to go back there and to win like that was really special.
2: Yeah, it was something else, and having two in a row over Oklahoma is a rare treat, so that's nice. And and Texas Tech's a good football team. They come in, and they could have caught you guys uh, kind of looking ahead or looking back at the Oklahoma game, and you guys took care of business. But um, what did Texas Tech do in the running game? I, I didn't think this would be a question I'd ask. Uh, in the running game, that gave you so much problems.
3: You know, in the first half, you know, the guys did a really nice job. You know, there was not much uh, product production in their run game. And we went in knowing that we, if we did not let them throw the ball and take big shots and give up explosives, and if they had to run the football, we were going to win the game. And so I think we probably played more pass than run, uh, especially like with the linebackers. And we hammered that into them. Um, and, and, in the second half, I want to give them their props. They came out, made some adjustments to what they were doing, blocking scheme wise on, on, on some of their bread and butter runs, you know, and, and we gave up that long one on third down, you know, which kind of, when you give up a 50 yarder excuse your, your rushing uh, yardage, and then we gave up too many scrambles, you know, so there was probably a hundred yards and scrambles and, and one play on that third down blitz that popped on us, but. Play that we call split zone. Um, they were able to find some creases that we got to get shored up because uh, TCU, you know, runs the same play as does everybody else, and we got to make sure our fits are sound.
2: Yeah, it. Uh, I was impressed with how you guys got it back under control because sometimes when that starts to spiral with a team like Tech, they get going fast, they get into that rhythm. Um, it's almost like you're. You're spinning out on ice. You can't get control of it very easily, and you guys did. That was impressive.
3: Yeah, you know, you know, really proud of everybody, the players uh, on both sides of the ball, to handle you know uh, losing your starting quarterback. And I didn't even realize we had lost him. Uh, until I saw him on the sideline, second half with a sling on, and I was like, dang Skyler. And, and, uh, you know, cause you're so focused on your side of the ball and making corrections. You don't even get to watch the game. I come home, my family's like, did you see this play by deuce? Did you see this play? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I didn't. I was talking to the linebackers and making adjustments. So, you know, I think everybody just kept going about their business. And I think some guys came up obviously with some big plays, uh, um, Jayback had a great, a great interception, you know, and Wyatt, Wyatt had a nice pass rush that got the quarterback off stride and on his heels when he had to loft that ball up there. And I think that was a big moment in the game for us.
2: Man, takeaways have been in your favor this year, and it gets a lot easier to win football games when you do that.
3: Yeah, yeah, we just got to keep blocking a punt every game. We're gonna start, <laughs> just, <laughs> hopefully, we <laughs> go ahead. Just,
2: it's it's true. I mean, you block a punt every game, you look really smart because you you get free points out of it almost always. So it's uh, it's been uncanny. Have you ever been around a team that's blocked a punt three games in a row?
3: <laughs> no. Sometimes you're lucky to block one a year. So, yeah, it's uh, crazy. You know, it is. It's a tribute to those guys and their attention to detail on special teams, uh, both the coaches and the players.
2: TCU might try to sneak the uh, 14 guys out there on their first punt to make sure it didn't happen to them. Um,
3: <laughs> uh, they're, they're well coached outfit, So we're going to, yeah. we're going have to be on point.
2: Yeah, they looked good. They looked good against uh, Texas and uh, I'm, I'm in favor of anything that keeps Texas in check. So that worked out well. Now uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. I'm looking right. at your career here, coach. Um, you went to North Dakota State in 12 and 13, uh, and I take it that's when you first met Chris Kleiman and, and some of these guys are around now?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what an awesome experience, and I uh, had to get talked into going up there to look at that situation. Uh, Craig Bull, the head coach at that time, he was a GA when I was a freshman way back when in Nebraska, and you know, we'd known each other for a long time. And he finally said, hey, you're going to come up and take a look at this place. And some other guys that coach there and said, hey, you need to look at it. And so I went up there. As soon as I got up there and got on campus inside saw the Fargo Dome and all that, I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is this is big-time football up here. And then to get to work with Coach Kleiman for those two years, very special years in my, my career for me and my family, to experience that kind of culture and uh, two national championships – um, was, was uh, remarkable, and we'll cherish those forever. And, and to get the chance to come back and Coach Kleiman and our families um, know each other well, and it's been great to get to be around his whole family again and my family to be around his and help uh, develop the culture here, the kind of culture that uh, he and I both uh, value. And uh, the reason he hired me, I think, is because he knows the kind of person I am. And, and we we worked side by side in the same room.
2: Well, you left there, you went with Coach Bowl to Wyoming, and then you ended up at Syracuse, um, which is a program that's been winning a lot of games lately. They've been doing really well. Uh, how hard of it, or was it hard to make the decision to to leave upstate New York and come back to the Midwest to join the Kansas State staff?
3: You know, I really enjoyed uh, Coach Babers. The coaching staff developed, you know, in three years there, a lot of friends and really with, developed close ties with the players um, there. And that was, that was hard to, to leave Syracuse. Um, and, and Dino treated me and my family very well, and I'm very appreciative of that. And I think he understood the opportunity to come back, to be this close to my mom, my dad, my brothers, sisters, uh, my two older uh, children, um, you know, be two hours away, you know, like my dad said, he you know, I've seen you more in six months than I have the last twenty years. <laughs> and and then to get to coach for a program like Kansas State in a conference like the Big Twelve. Um, you know, I just couldn't couldn't pass up this opportunity and appreciative that uh, Coach Kleiman gave it to us.
2: That will do it for the first half of my conversation with K State linebackers coach Steve Standard here on the PowerCat Sources podcast. But don't go anywhere. We got good stuff on the other side.
1: The Powercat Podcast will be right back.
0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: We now send it back to the Powercat podcast.
2: Welcome back to the Sources podcast. Let's continue our discussion about K-State football and his career with linebackers coach Steve Stannard. As I look at your resume, I notice something that jumps out at me because of the dates. You were at Nebraska uh finishing up, starting out when the transition between the previous regime and Bill Snyder coming in. As a Nebraska guy, watching what Coach Snyder did from 1989 forward, how unbelievable was it?
3: It was. It was uh valuable experience to see that and you could just see it in the Nebraska staff and coach Osborne that they knew that coach Snyder was going to build something special here. Um, and you could just see it being as a player, you know, I was n- nothing special as a player. And when I played, uh, everybody got to get in that game, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't mean any disrespect to, that's just where the program was. And then as a GA, I saw, wow, Coach Snyder's doing things the right way, and Coach Schneider's building a culture down there. And then I got to come back here um, when I was in New Mexico State when they were up and running, and they had Sproles and (laughs) uh, Joe Hall and uh, uh, Lieber, and I can't even name them all. And they beat the brakes off of us uh, when I was in New Mexico State. And I got to feel that wrath of where (laughs) Kansas State you know had, had gone could had come from and and was now and it's uh been impressive to watch and hopefully we can just continue to build upon that great tradition that he started here
2: and the facilities uh, i mean the program learning how to win and be successful is one thing but the facilities now at kansas state are just impressive they really are
3: oh uh, it was because when i came here in whatever year it was uh whatever years that was early two thousands, I guess it would have been, um, in the facility was totally different. And then came back on that North Dakota state staff when we played Kansas state, the facilities had improved. But now when I walked in here on my first day, I could not wait to call my family and say, I can't wait for y'all to come down here and see this, this, this new stadium complex is phenomenal. And what, they have been developing, and what uh, Gene Taylor has done to continue to develop in that uh, South End Zone complex—it's exciting. I mean, it is a big-time facility now.
2: I'm I going to tell you, I'm I'm kind of upset with the South End, and here's why. This is this is my logic. Uh, they are building like if I could build the perfect sports bar, they're building it at the stadium. But it will only be busy on days when I'm working, and the same is true for you.
3: And, and I'm a little well, bitter. I'm a little bitter about this. I don't know if I'll ever get to see it. There's some places <laughs> in this facility that I've never seen. You know, I only know what they are. But uh, I pretty much just walk in the front door, come up the elevator, go to my office, and the defensive meeting room, and that's about all I get to see. But, uh, but yeah, it. it uh, you, you stand down there on that field, and how much has changed. From the '80s, when I was a player, to where we are now, it's uh, remarkable.
2: It really is. I I haven't been in the stadium uh, yet this year. I've got underlying conditions, so I'm being real careful careful with the COVID monster and and staying home and sending my guys to the games. But the look that even adding that south end zone has done to the stadium has just really kind of pulled everything together and and made it look like a uniform stadium. It's really cool. I'm, I'm impressed.
3: Yeah, because when I got here in March and looked down there. You know, there was nothing there. And then just, then all of a sudden, I mean, literally like my first day, they started knocking stuff down and carving it out. And, and to see that transpire over here, you know, over the last five or six months has been really cool.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how fast they build that stuff. It's uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, I, I'm just going to ask you uh, some personal questions here. Uh, first of all, what is the... What's the background of your last name, and could your family not afford the second D? Is that why the D was (laughs) left out? You were from an impoverished background and couldn't afford all the letters?
3: Yeah, you know, my my dad always used to joke about that. My dad spells his first name D-A-R-R-E-L. Um, and he always used to say, they were so poor, they couldn't afford the second L <laughs> and they couldn't, and they couldn't afford the, the D in the middle. So, um, but in all, in all honesty, um, people butcher it, you know, Stenard, sure. standard, you know, but, and so my freshman year, we go to the sugar bowl and my Jersey's in my locker and it's spelled wrong on the back of my Jersey, you know, <laughs> try to sense this story. But anyway, so long story short, most freshmen. I was one of only three that even got to go to the sugar bowl. They didn't take freshmen back then. And so I, I go walking around instead of just shutting up, I go looking for someone to tell when I find coach McBride, the defensive coordinator, and I go, Hey coach, you know, he spelled my name wrong. And he proceeded to let me know that I was just lucky to be there. And, uh, I need to be appreciative. <laughs> That's not how he worded it, but he just <laughs> said pretty much, you just be dang glad you're even here standard. And, uh, <laughs> So I still have that jersey, and my son hangs it in his room. And uh, so when we got to Syracuse, New York, he played for the Cicero Falcons, and sure as heck, they get spelled his name or name wrong but on the back of his jersey. So he has two jerseys in his room, his and mine, with both our last names spelled wrong on the back of them. So I told him, I said, hey, just do something so they know how to spell your name right.
2: That just goes to prove that. Uh, even as an experienced journalist, sometimes asking the dumb question gets a good answer. <laughs> um, yeah. It, uh, I, I'm interested. It, after you heard this from coach McBride uh, and he probably let you up pretty good. And you as a 18, 19 year old probably was like, well, the, what the hell was that? And now as a coach, you probably understand exactly what he was saying. Like I got better things to worry about than some freshman's Jersey.
3: Exactly. Sometimes you need to be, and it was right on point. And sometimes you just need to understand well, we're all very fortunate just to be here, and to be a, be a part of this because uh, not 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 everyone gets to have the opportunities that we have as coaches and players.
2: Yep. You have four children. Go through them for me and and ages and what they're up to.
3: Yeah, I appreciate. It. Austin is my oldest. He's twenty seven. Um, he's finished up his master's in engineering and uh, at the University of Nebraska. And my daughter, Paige, is uh, 24. She works at uh, Midland University up in Nebraska. She is director of, I'm kind to of butcher it, but long story short, director of social media for their hmm. university. And then my son, Max, uh, is 14. He's a freshman here at Manhattan High. And then Madison, is 12, she's a sixth grader here in elementary school.
2: How is all the moving, how do the kids handle that?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting. So uh, my, my old, I got uh, divorced when I was in New Mexico state and my older kids moved back at a young age to Lincoln, Nebraska, okay. where they've grown up um, with their mother and as I, so I moved around the country and obviously still been very involved in their lives. and very close with them. And it's been great to be back here, to be closer to them. my son came down to to watch my son Max play in his ninth grade freshman game, which I'll miss, but he'll get to see um, here at 4.30 today. And, um, but my two younger ones um, with my uh, wife Jennifer now, um, they have experienced living all over the place. So Max, when he got, I can't remember where we were, he had to write a paper wherever you lived. And the teacher was like, "You're you're ten. And you have lived five places. So he was born. He was born in Fort Collins, and then we moved to Ohio. So we went to Colorado State, Ohio University, then Tulane, and then North Dakota State, Wyoming, Syracuse, Kansas State. So I don't know what that is. How many places? Seven and yeah. seven places in fourteen years. And uh, but I tell you what, it's really made them well adjusted. Um, they deal with uh, adversity well." Uh, they make friends quickly, and they've had to. And especially my daughter. Oh my goodness! If you ever get a chance to meet her, Madison, she's she's a pistol. So I don't worry <laughs> about I don't worry about her making friends. And Max is a good athlete. He's a multi sport athlete. So is she. But uh, he he uses sports to make his friendships. Where Madison Madison's the one you got to worry about walking out of Walmart with, with a stranger when she was younger. <laughs> Just nice to everyone. Talk. Just talking to him. Yeah. Yeah. Just talking to a stranger. And yeah. so that's my family and my wife, Jennifer, uh, who I'm very fortunate to have um, been with for, oh, I don't even know how many years now, 16 years, something like that. You better figure that one out. You better. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I married my wife in 1990. So I, uh, and it was April. So I, I've got the, April 7th of 1990, so I've got a fourth quarter touchdown in, uh, in an even year 90. So I'm, I've got it down. I'll never forget. And it's easy to figure out your anniversary when you started in at a zero. So uh, we just got past 30. So I've, I don't know how she's done it. Uh, you haven't really probably had much chance of spending time in Manhattan, have you? Everything's kind of been locked down.
3: Yeah, it's been unique. Um, I know my wife and kids were all anxious to – get to enjoy Manhattan and some other restaurants and, and those things. We've had takeout from a lot of them, mm-hmm. but haven't had a chance to go sit down. And, and with our situation now, we're trying to keep our bubble as tight as we can yeah. so that we can stay healthy and keep keep coaching, keep playing.
2: Yeah, my, my wife had friends in town, and they were going to go eat at Taco Lucha, and they wanted to be on the patio, and they ended up inside, and she opted out to, because of my health to, to not be indoor dining right now. I just can't can't be around that. so' it's, it's kind of sucked. I'm a social person and now I just sit at home and, and work. So it's uh, been actually not even going to games so you know that, that Arkansas State game, I think was the first home game in 25 years I had missed. so it's oh wow. it's been a it's been interesting um, this whole situation. but somehow someway you guys came out of a really difficult loss and got back on track. And aside from the record being two and one, I think that alone says everything you need to know about the the stability of this football program.
3: Well, I, I think it says a lot about uh, some of the seniors in this uh, program that uh, recognized um, it wasn't going to be uh, an easy road and, Things had to change in order for us to move in the direction we want to move. And my hat's off to them and the way they've embraced uh, the adversity after the first game. And And honestly, it starts with Coach Kleiman and uh, the way he brought us all together and and, and uh, laid out a plan that this is what has to get done in order for us to continue to move forward and develop in the culture. And uh, it's... Uh, been really uh, encouraging to see.
2: Yeah. Uh, I just love your, your two starting seniors, Eli and Jay Baller. Two really good guys to cover. They're, they're pros when they'd come in the media room and, and take care of stuff. And I don't know. Um, Justin's just, he wants to be in sports journalism, so I have an affinity towards him. And I think he's <laughs> insane for wanting to do that, but uh, it's, uh, it's good. He's, yeah. he's quite the personality.
3: I told him the same thing. He said, uh, and he also just mentioned coaching. And I said, well, you're out of your mind getting into this profession. But, uh, no, it's a it's an awesome profession and it's very rewarding. And I think he could be good at either one, whether it be podcasting or coaching.
2: I think he'd be a great coach. And uh, you probably would give him pretty good advice because looking at through your resume, you paid your dues, brother. I mean, you, you had to climb the ladder and uh, – uh, You've done a good job of it. and You've made the most of your opportunities, haven't you?
3: Yeah, I appreciate it. And, yeah, I didn't start out, you know, in, in Division I football. And I think it's uh, maybe who I am, coaching Division Three. Loved the experience. Loved coaching those guys. And my oldest son went to that school for a few years uh, at Nebraska Wesleyan and played soccer there. And um, I uh, just absolutely – Loved the people there. I got to be a head coach for a couple of years. I didn't know anything. I was so young. And and then, you know, then D2, and then, you know, just kept working my way up. So it's been rewarding. And you know what? A lot of the guys on the staff have similar paths. Yeah. And I think that's what makes us who we are. Uh, we don't – we appreciate the opportunity.
2: I remember a great quote from Bill Snyder, and it was, was during 1.0 before he retired the first time. We were talking about, I, it was probably around 98 when Oklahoma raided the staff uh, with Bob Stoops and company. Uh, he said there's a, a lot more good football coaches out there than good jobs. And we'll go find people. And he did and kept it going. It's, it's always been impressive how, uh, how many good coaches there are out there in the world.
3: There really are. There's great coaches at all levels starting at high school yeah. and, uh, and even youth football. My older brother has coached youth football for a lot of years, and he always get called me and say, "Hey, you know, you guys struggle a little bit. Yeah, we gave up a few points." And he goes, "Yeah, uh, we're undefeated, and we haven't <laughs> gave, up a, gave up a touchdown." You know, he, he's coaching sixth grade or six-year-olds or whatever they were, ten-year-olds. He took great he took great pride in that. And uh, there are there's some unbelievable coaches out there that don't maybe always. Get the opportunity they wish they could have, and that's what makes this so special to be be here at K State.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, your brother's a jerk. It just let's, just be honest, <laughs> let's be honest. Let's be honest. But those youth coaches are are so important. If kids enjoy the game, young, uh, make it fun, and uh, they have success, and they're probably
3: going to stick with it. Well, I tell you what, it's really important that our youth coaches, um, whether it be uh peewee junior high high school in a time when there's so many things they're pulling kids away from football whether it be other sports yeah. other things the experience they have at a young age with the sport of football is so important that, that that they want to continue to play the game and not get turned off by the game or by you know youth coaches we we appreciate everything they do because we don't have the guys we have if they aren't keeping them interested in the game at a young age
2: i totally agree well coach i appreciate your time very much and the best of luck down in fort worth on saturday with the horn frogs
3: hey tim really enjoyed it i appreciate it okay. just in time i gotta get to a special teams meeting here so okay. thank
2: you we'll figure out how to block another punt
3: there you go there okay. you go thank you Thanks.
2: that one was fun like i said in the open You just don't know what you're going to get into when you haven't ever really talked to anyone. And we were even supposed to do this via Zoom, and we had some connection problems there, so we did it on the phone. You know, Zoom's a little bit easier when you got a face-to-face connection. You can kind of talk directly to someone. I'm loving these, man. I'm loving getting to know some of these coaches a little bit better, and I'm loving the fact that you, our listeners, get to listen in on exactly what we're talking about. After talking to Steve Standard and after you listening to Steve Standard, I think you probably agree, K-State's linebackers are in very good hands. Well, that's it for this week's Sources podcast. I hope you continue to listen to all of our Powercat podcasts, and make sure you're subscribing at Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever podcast service you prefer. I'm Tim Fitzgerald. We will talk to you on The Sources Podcast next
1: week. Powercat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or...